Section nine of Eureka, a prose poem by Edgar Allan Poe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. If the propositions of this discourse are tenable, the state of progressive collapse is precisely that state in which alone we are warranted in considering all things. And with due humility, let me here confess that, for my part, I am at a loss to conceive how any other understanding of the existing condition of affairs could ever have made its way into the human brain. The tendency to collapse and the attraction of gravitation are convertible phrases, and using either we speak of the reaction of the first act. Never was necessity less obvious than that of supposing matter imbued with an ineradicable quality forming part of its material nature a quality or instinct forever inseparable from it and by dint of which inalienable principle every atom is perpetually impelled to seek its fellow-atom never was necessity less obvious than that of entertaining this unphilosophical idea going boldly behind the vulgar thought we have to conceive metaphysically that the gravitating principle appertains to matter temporarily only while diffused only while existing as many instead of as one appertains to it by virtue of its state of irradiation alone appertains in a word altogether to its condition and not in the slightest degree to itself in this view when the irradiation shall have returned into its source when the reaction shall be completed the gravitating principle will no longer exist and in fact astronomers without at any time reaching the idea here suggested seem to have been approximating it in the assertion that if there were but one body in the universe it would be impossible to understand how the principle gravity could obtain that is to say from a consideration of matter as they find it they reach a conclusion at which i deductively arrive that so pregnant a suggestion as the one just quoted should have been permitted to remain so long unfruitful is nevertheless a mystery which i find it difficult to fathom it is perhaps in no little degree however our propensity for the continuous for the analogical in the present case more particularly for the symmetrical which has been leading us astray and in fact the sense of the symmetrical is an instinct which may be depended upon with an almost blindfold reliance it is the poetical essence of the universe of the universe which in the supremeness of its symmetry is but the most sublime of poems now symmetry and consistency are convertible terms thus poetry and truth are one a thing is consistent in the ratio of its truth true in the ratio of its consistency a perfect consistency i repeat can be nothing but an absolute truth we may take it for granted then that man cannot long or widely err if he suffer himself to be guided by his poetical which i have maintained to be his truthful in being his symmetrical instinct he must have a care however lest in pursuing too heedlessly the superficial symmetry of forms and motions he leave out of sight the really essential symmetry of the principles which determine and control them that the stellar bodies would finally be merged in one that at last all would be drawn into the substance of one stupendous central orb already existing 
is an idea which for some time past seems vaguely and indeterminately to have held possession of the fancy of mankind it is an idea in fact which belongs to the class of the excessively obvious it springs instantly from a superficial observation of the cyclic and seemingly gyrating or vorticial movements of those individual portions of the universe which come most immediately and most closely under our observation there is not perhaps a human being of ordinary education and of average reflective capacity to whom at some period the fancy in question has not occurred as if spontaneously or intuitively and wearing all the character of a very profound and very original conception this conception however so commonly entertained has never within my knowledge arisen out of any abstract considerations being on the contrary always suggested as i say by the vorticial movements about centres a reason for it also a cause for the ingathering of all the orbs into one imagined to be already existing was naturally sought in the same direction among these cyclic movements themselves thus it happened that on announcement of the gradual and perfectly regular decrease observed in the orbit of Encke's comet at every successive revolution about our sun astronomers were nearly unanimous in the opinion that the cause in question was found that a principle was discovered sufficient to account physically for that final universal agglomeration which i repeat the analogical symmetrical or poetical instinct of man had predetermined to understand as something more than a simple hypothesis this cause this sufficient reason for the final ingathering was declared to exist in an exceedingly rare but still material medium pervading space which medium by retarding in some degree the progress of the comet perpetually weakened its tangential force thus giving a predominance to the centripetal which of course drew the comet nearer and nearer at each revolution and would eventually precipitate it upon the sun all this was strictly logical admitting the medium or ether but this ether was assumed most illogically on the ground that no other mode than the one spoken of could be discovered of accounting for the observed decrease in the orbit of the comet as if from the fact that we could discover no other mode of accounting for it it followed in any respect that no other mode of accounting for it existed it is clear that innumerable causes might operate in combination to diminish the orbit without even a possibility of our ever becoming acquainted with one of them in the meantime it has never been fairly shown perhaps why the retardation occasioned by the skirts of the sun's atmosphere through which the comet passes at perihelion is not enough to account for the phenomenon that Encke's comet will be absorbed into the sun is probable that all the comets of the system will be absorbed is more than merely possible but in such case the principle of absorption must be referred to eccentricity of orbit to the close approximation to the sun of the comets at their perihelia and is a principle not affecting in any degree the ponderous spheres which are to be regarded as the true material constituents of the universe touching comets in general let me here suggest in passing that we cannot be far wrong in looking upon them as the lightning flashes of the cosmical heaven 
the idea of retarding ether and through it of a final agglomeration of all things seemed at one time however to be confirmed by the observation of a positive decrease in the orbit of the solid moon by reference to eclipses recorded twenty five hundred years ago it was found that the velocity of the satellite's revolution then was considerably less than it is now that on the hypothesis that its motions in its orbit is uniformly in accordance with kepler's law and was accurately determined then twenty five hundred years ago it is now in advance of the position it should occupy by nearly nine thousand miles the increase of velocity proved of course a diminution of orbit and astronomers were fast yielding to a belief in an ether as the sole mode of accounting for the phenomenon when lagrange came to the rescue he showed that owing to the configurations of the spheroids the shorter axes of their ellipses are subject to variation in length the longer axes being permanent and that this variation is continuous and vibratory so that every orbit is in a state of transition either from circle to ellipse or from ellipse to circle in the case of the moon where the shorter axis is decreasing the orbit is passing from circle to ellipse and consequently is decreasing too but after a long series of ages the ultimate eccentricity will be attained then the shorter axis will proceed to increase until the orbit becomes a circle when the process of shortening will again take place and so on forever in the case of the earth the orbit is passing from ellipse to circle the facts thus demonstrated do away of course with all necessity for supposing an ether and with all apprehension of the system's instability on the ether's account it will be remembered that i have myself assumed what we may term an ether i have spoken of a subtle influence which we know to be ever in attendance upon matter although becoming manifest only through matter's heterogeneity to this influence without daring to touch it at all in any effort at explaining its awful nature i have referred the various phenomena of electricity heat light magnetism and more of vitality consciousness and thought in a word of spirituality it will be seen at once then that the ether thus conceived is radically distinct from the ether of the astronomers inasmuch as theirs is matter and mine is not with the idea of a material ether seems thus to have departed altogether the thought of that universal agglomeration so long predetermined by the poetical fancy of mankind an agglomeration in which a sound philosophy might have been warranted in putting faith at least to a certain extent if for no other reason than that by this poetical fancy it had been so predetermined but so far as astronomy so far as mere physics have yet spoken the cycles of the universe are perpetual the universe has no conceivable end had an end been demonstrated however from so purely collateral a cause as an ether man's instinct of the divine capacity to adapt would have rebelled against the demonstration we should have been forced to regard the universe with some such sense of dissatisfaction as we experience in contemplating an unnecessarily complex work of human art creation would have affected us as an imperfect plot in a romance 
where the denouement is awkwardly brought about by interposed incidents external and foreign to the main subject instead of springing out of the bosom of the thesis out of the heart of the ruling idea instead of arising as a result of the primary proposition as inseparable and inevitable part and parcel of the fundamental conception of the book what i mean by the symmetry of mere surface will now be more clearly understood it is simply by the blandishment of this symmetry that we have been beguiled into the general idea of which maedler's hypothesis is but a part the idea of the vorticial indrawing of the orbs dismissing this nakedly physical conception the symmetry of principle sees the end of all things metaphysically involved in the thought of a beginning seeks and finds in this origin of all things the rudiment of this end and perceives the impiety of supposing this end likely to be brought about less simply less directly less obviously less artistically than through the reaction of the originating act recurring then to a previous suggestion let us understand the systems let us understand each star with its attendant planets as but a titanic atom existing in space with precisely the same inclination for unity which characterized in the beginning the actual atoms after their irradiation throughout the universal sphere as these original atoms rush towards each other in generally straight lines so let us conceive as at least generally rectilinear the paths of the system atoms towards their respective centers of aggregation and in this direct drawing together of the systems into clusters with a similar and simultaneous drawing together of the clusters themselves while undergoing consolidation we have at length attained the great now the awful present the existing condition of the universe of the still more awful future a not irrational analogy may guide us in framing a hypothesis the equilibrium between the centripetal and centrifugal forces of each system being necessarily destroyed upon attainment of a certain proximity to the nucleus of the cluster to which it belongs there must occur at once a chaotic or seemingly chaotic precipitation of the moons upon the planets of the planets upon the suns and of the suns upon the nuclei and the general result of this precipitation must be the gathering of the myriad now existing stars of the firmament into an almost infinitely less number of almost infinitely superior spheres in being immeasurably fewer the worlds of that day will be immeasurably greater than our own then indeed amid unfathomable abysses will be glaring unimaginable suns but all this will be merely a climactic magnificence foreboding the great end of this end the new genesis described can be but a very partial postponement while undergoing consolidation the clusters themselves with a speed prodigiously accumulative have been rushing towards their own general centre and now with a thousandfold electric velocity commensurate only with their material grandeur and with the spiritual passion of their appetite for oneness the majestic remnants of the tribe of stars flash at length into a common embrace the inevitable catastrophe is at hand but this catastrophe what is it we have seen accomplished the ingathering of the orbs 
henceforward are we not to understand one material globe of globes as constituting and comprehending the universe such a fancy would be altogether at war with every assumption and consideration of this discourse i have already alluded to that absolute reciprocity of adaptation which is the idiosyncrasy of the divine art stamping it divine up to this point of our reflections we have been regarding the electrical influence as something by dint of whose repulsion alone matter is enabled to exist in that state of diffusion demanded for the fulfillment of its purposes so far in a word we have been considering the influence in question as ordained for matter's sake to subverse the objects of matter with a perfectly legitimate reciprocity we are now permitted to look at matter as created solely for the sake of this influence solely to serve the objects of this spiritual ether through the aid by the means through the agency of matter and by dint of its heterogeneity is this ether manifested is spirit individualized it is merely in the development of this ether through heterogeneity that particular masses of matter become animate sensitive and in the ratio of their heterogeneity some reaching a degree of sensitiveness involved in what we call thought and thus attaining conscious intelligence in this view we are enabled to perceive matter as a means not as an end its purposes are thus seen to have been comprehended in its diffusion and with the return into unity these purposes cease the absolutely consolidated globe of globes would be objectless therefore not for a moment could it continue to exist matter created for an end would unquestionably on fulfillment of that end be matter no longer let us endeavor to understand that it would disappear and that god would remain all in all that every work of divine conception must coexist and coexpire with its particular design seems to me especially obvious and i make no doubt that on perceiving the final globe of globes to be objectless the majority of my readers will be satisfied with my therefore it cannot continue to exist nevertheless as the startling thought of its instantaneous disappearance is one which the most powerful intellect cannot be expected readily to entertain on grounds so decidedly abstract let us endeavor to look at the idea from some other and more ordinary point of view let us see how thoroughly and beautifully it is corroborated in an a posteriori consideration of matter as we actually find it i have before said that the attraction and repulsion being undeniably the sole properties by which matter is manifested to mind we are justified in assuming that matter exists only as attraction and repulsion in other words that attraction and repulsion are matter there being no conceivable case in which we may not employ the term matter and the terms attraction and repulsion taken together as equivalent and therefore convertible expressions in logic now the very definition of attraction implies particularity the existence of parts particles or atoms for we define it as the tendency of each atom etc to every other atom etc according to a certain law of course where there are no parts where there is absolute unity where the tendency to oneness is satisfied there can be no attraction this has been fully shown and all philosophy admits it 
when on fulfillment of its purposes then matter shall have returned into its original condition of one a condition which presupposes the expulsion of the separative ether whose province and whose capacity are limited to keeping the atoms apart until that great day when this ether being no longer needed the overwhelming pressure of the finally collective attraction shall at length just sufficiently predominate and expel it when i say matter finally expelling the ether shall have returned into absolute unity it will then to speak paradoxically for the moment be matter without attraction and without repulsion in other words matter without matter in other words again matter no more in sinking into unity it will sink at once into that nothingness which to all finite perception unity must be into that material nihility from which alone we can conceive it to have been evoked to have been created by the volition of god i repeat then let us endeavor to comprehend that the final globe of globes will instantaneously disappear and that god will remain all in all but are we here to pause not so on the universal agglomeration and dissolution we can readily conceive that a new and perhaps totally different series of conditions may ensue another creation and irradiation returning into itself another action and reaction of the divine will guiding our imaginations by that omniprevalent law of laws the law of periodicity are we not indeed more than justified in entertaining a belief let us say rather in indulging a hope that the processes we have here ventured to contemplate will be renewed forever and forever and forever a novel universe swelling into existence and then subsiding into nothingness at every throb of the heart divine and now this heart divine what is it it is our own let not the merely seeming irreverence of this idea frighten our souls from that cool exercise of consciousness from that deep tranquillity of self-inspection through which alone we can hope to attain the presence of this the most sublime of truths and look it leisurely in the face the phenomena on which our conclusions must at this point depend are merely spiritual shadows but not the less thoroughly substantial we walk about amid the destinies of our world existence encompassed by dim but ever-present memories of a destiny more vast very distant in the bygone time and infinitely awful we live out a youth particularly haunted by such dreams yet never mistaking them for dreams as memories we know them during our youth the distinction is too clear to deceive us even for a moment so long as this youth endures the feeling that we exist is the most natural of all feelings we understand it thoroughly that there was a period at which we did not exist or that it might so have happened that we never had existed at all are the considerations indeed which during this youth we find difficulty in understanding why we should not exist is up to the epoch of our manhood of all queries the most unanswerable existence self-existence existence from all time and to all eternity seems up to the epoch of manhood a normal and unquestionable condition 
seems because it is but now comes the period at which a conventional world reason awakens us from the truth of our dream doubt surprise and incomprehensibility arrive at the same moment they say you live and the time was when you lived not you have been created an intelligence exists greater than your own and it is only through this intelligence you live at all these things we struggle to comprehend and cannot cannot because these things being untrue are thus of necessity incomprehensible no thinking being lives who at some luminous point of his life of thought has not felt himself lost amid the surges of futile efforts at understanding or believing that anything exists greater than his own soul the utter impossibility of any one soul feeling itself inferior to another the intense overwhelming dissatisfaction and rebellion at the thought these with the omniprevalent aspirations at perfection are but the spiritual coincident with the material struggles towards the original unity are to my mind at least a species of proof far surpassing what man terms demonstration that no one soul is inferior to another that nothing is or can be superior to any one soul that each soul is in part its own god its own creator in a word that god the material and spiritual god now exists solely in the diffused matter and spirit of the universe and that the regathering of this diffused matter and spirit will be but the reconstitution of the purely spiritual and individual god in this view and in this view alone we comprehend the riddles of divine injustice of inexorable fate in this view alone the existence of evil becomes intelligible but in this view it becomes more it becomes endurable our souls no longer rebel at a sorrow which we ourselves have imposed upon ourselves in furtherance of our own purposes with a view if even with a futile view to the extension of our own joy i have spoken of memories that haunt us during our youth they sometimes pursue us even in our manhood assume gradually less and less indefinite shapes now and then speak to us with low voices saying there was an epoch in the night of time when a still existent being existed one of the absolutely infinite number of similar beings that people the absolutely infinite domains of the absolutely infinite space it was not and is not in the power of these beings any more than it is in your own to extend by actual increase the joy of his existence but just as it is in your power to expand or to concentrate your pleasures the absolute amount of happiness remaining always the same so did and does a similar capacity appertain to this divine being who thus passes his eternity in perpetual variation of concentrated self and almost infinite self-diffusion what you call the universe is but his present expansive existence he now feels his life through an infinity of imperfect pleasures the partial and pain intertangled pleasures of those inconceivably numerous things which you designate as his creatures but which are really but infinite individualizations of himself all these creatures all those which you term animate as well as those to whom you deny life for no better reason than that you do not behold it in operation 
all these creatures have in a greater or less degree a capacity for pleasure and for pain but the general sum of their sensations is precisely that amount of happiness which appertains by right to the divine being when concentrated within himself these creatures are all too more or less conscious intelligences conscious first of a proper identity conscious secondly and by faint indeterminate glimpses of an identity with the divine being of whom we speak of an identity with god of these two classes of consciousnesses fancy that the former will grow weaker the latter stronger during the long succession of ages which must elapse before these myriads of individual intelligences become blended when the bright stars become blended into one think that the sense of individual identity will be gradually merged in the general consciousness that man for example ceasing imperceptibly to feel himself man will at length attain that awfully triumphant epoch when he shall recognize his existence as that of jehovah in the meantime bear in mind that all is life 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 within life the less within the greater and all within the spirit divine the end End of section nine. Recording by Scotty. End of Eureka, a prose poem by Edgar Allan Poe.